Aren't you thankful for God's salvation this morning? Indeed, it is a blessing. And as we come this, this morning, we celebrate what a great God we serve. And we understand that His purpose is not just for you and I to be made sons and daughters of His kingdom, but for us then to become fellow participants in sharing the gospel with others. He wants to use us as vessels of redemption, people who would be ambassadors on His behalf, as Pastor Keith shared with us last week. As we began this morning a, a few years ago, as I was a student in seminary, I want you to understand, in those moments, I was thinking and, and asking for God to lead me and direct me. And several years ago, when, it, when I was in the process of praying for God to lead me and guide me in the ministry... I prayed for God to give me a church, but I want you to understand, I didn't pray that God would give me a big church. I didn't pray that God would give me a small church. I didn't pray that God would give me a medium-sized church. I didn't pray that God would give me a church in the city or in the country. I prayed that God would give me a healthy church. A church that would desire to know and to love Him and to serve Him. A church that would desire to make a mark upon the community and upon the world for the sake and cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, a healthy church is one that is warmer in fellowship, deeper through discipleship, broader through ministry, and larger through evangelism. A church that indeed is marked with a love for God and a love for others. Indeed, the person has remarked that you can't always judge an army by those that are sitting in the mess hall. Isn't that true? You can't judge the impact of an army by simply those that are sitting in a mess hall. You judge an army on the basis of how many people are trained, equipped, and active on the front line in the same way you don't simply judge a church's success by observing nickels, noses, and noise. You judge a church's success by their commitment to God and their commitment to man. You judge a church by how healthy and prepared it is to take the gospel into the battle of everyday life and to impact this community and this world for the cause of Jesus Christ. If we truly want to measure the impact of the church, then we don't simply need to measure the impact of how many people are sitting and soaking up a Sunday morning sermon during the 1030 hour. We need to sit, to measure how many of our members are active, engaged in service within the church and within the community how many of us are zealous for the cause of the gospel going forward in the midst of our lives how many of us are committed to personal personal evangelism when we want to measure the health and the well-being of a church listen we need to see whether there is a strong desire and devotion to receiving and applying the faithful truths revealed within the text of scripture so that we might really see how they love and obey god in the midst of everyday life. We want to see how healthy a church is. We need to measure the commitment to the Great Commission and we need to measure how the men of the church are leading in the areas of prayer and faithfulness and fidelity within the church body and within the homes throughout our community. Because those are marks that we measure healthy churches by. See, God's desire is for His church to have an impact within the culture and context that He planted so that many might come to know and love Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, as their Redeemer. 
And see, God's desire is not just for that to happen, but that to happen through men and women walking faithfully before the world and showing what it means to live in the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reality is, God has a place, especially last time we were together, we focused on the women, on those model matrons who would be godly women in the midst of an ungodly world. And today we're going to focus on those godly men, those model mentors, those model men who would be godly men in the midst of an ungodly world. But understand, God's desire is for His children, His daughters, and His sons to be faithful witnesses within the midst of our country, within the midst of our culture, so that the gospel might go forward. That's the commitment we need to have. So let us take our Bibles today in Titus chapter 2 and let us read again this passage of Scripture that calls for there to be godly men in the midst of an ungodly world. Let's stand now in honor of the reading of this, God's holy and inspired word. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll read verses 6 through 8. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Verse 6, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Younger men are to be sensible or self-controlled. Father, We ask now that you would give us wisdom to understand and to apply this passage of Scripture. Let it speak into our lives in such a bold and powerful way that we would go out differently than when we came in. Lord, that we would see that there is not a certain group, not a certain people that are more important in the the participation of the gospel, but that each and every one of us are vital in your plan to send the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, let us give ourselves to that, to being faithful witnesses. Father, for the sake of the gospel, we ask now that through this time you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this passage, we indeed see that we are to have model men within the midst of the church. And these model men are to be godly men in the midst of an ungodly world. And we see that in this passage, God desires for his sons to be model mentors for other men in the areas of godliness and holiness as they live in the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what God desires. He doesn't desire you just to sit, soak, and sour. He desires you to come to learn to pour yourself out before the Word, to absorb the Word into you, and for it to transform your life in such a way that then as you go out, you would serve Him and you would call others to come to follow Him because of the life that you live. Not just the words you say, but the life that you actually live. Now, Titus has been left behind there on the island of Crete. And Paul has told him in verse 5, set things in order. Set, Make sure that everything is set in order there. And so Titus is trying to make sure and, and call, the, call the church within the midst of that corrupted culture to be a positive, redemptive influence upon that land. 
They needed spiritual maturity. They needed people within the congregation that would devote themselves to shining forth, showing forth the good works of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Titus has been given the assignment to challenge the church in these areas. In order to establish that, Paul gives instructions not just for one group of people, but for every group of people. He says, hey, to the older men, this is what you are supposed to do. Then verse 3, to the younger, to the older women, this is who you're supposed to be. Now, to the younger women, this is what you are supposed to do. And then in verses 6 through 8, to the younger men, this is who you are supposed to be for the sake of the gospel. So he doesn't just leave one area and say, well, this one area, this one aspect of your church is more important than all the rest. No, it is to be a total body life throughout every age and every opportunity for the sake of the gospel. Each of us is to engage our lives in gospel ministry through the way that we conduct ourselves. And so Titus was instructed to approach every group in the church and challenge them to live out a holy life, a godly life in the midst of a corrupt culture. And really what he's saying, what is being said here is, listen, I want them to be godly men and women and live out their lives in such a way that they would be salt and light within the midst of the culture so that the culture might see their good works and glorify their father who is in heaven. Adamsville Baptist Church, that is our goal. Just as hard as it was for them to live that, the church to live that out in Crete back in Paul's day, it's just as hard for us to live it out within our day because we live within a corrupted culture, right? Right? Yes. Watch TV. Just turn it on this afternoon. You'll see all kinds of things that 50 years ago you never thought would have been acceptable within our culture. But understand this. He didn't only want them to live holy lives just for the sake of everybody else looking and saying, oh, aren't they holy? He wanted them to live holy lives so that the gospel would be attractive to those who don't know Christ and so that lives might be changed and transformed by the power and the work of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to be a healthy, well-balanced group of believers that clearly and attractively presented the gospel to their community in the context of everyday life. And still today, that's his goal. And so as we come today, let us have that ever before us, that our lives are really the testimony that bear out the truthfulness of the gospel changing and transforming a sinner into a saint. Listen, if you want to testify, if you want to make a mark in your family and in your community, you know the greatest mark that you can make. You live a life that has been transformed by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, in obedience to His Word. That will change the community and culture. But today, we are going to focus on these model men, these men who are supposed to be mentors, that are supposed to live out godly lives in the midst of an ungodly world. And first, we see today that there is a command to all Christians. There is a command to all Christians. We touched on this last time we were together. But he starts out by saying, listen, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. In contrast to the false teachers and what they're teaching, Titus, you need to bring the gospel to bear upon each and every situation and circumstance of life. You don't need to teach what those guys are teaching. You need to teach the truth of the gospel. And Paul does not say this in a, in a form where he says, Titus, you need to preach. You need to teach. You 
need to have everybody in the classroom. You need to have everybody in the sanctuary. And then you need to expound for them this lifestyle. He says, you need to be talking about it day by day. That's the Greek word. It's not the word for teach and preach that is found throughout the rest of the New Testament. It is the word for simply talking in the midst of everyday conversation. That's what, how God has designed for His truth to be transmitted. It's a lot more powerful when a mother or father sits down in the midst of life and shares the gospel and the implications of the gospel with the child than when they simply come in here and hear the pastor say it from the pulpit. Moms and dads, hear me and hear me well. Grandmas and grandpas, hear me and hear me well. Your life is more of a testimony and a witness in the lives of your children than I will ever be than I ever could be because they're looking to see you walk it out so that's what we understand all Christians are to be sharing the gospel they are to be talking about it in that present term tense term means not only to talk about it once but for the rest of your life you should be so changed and transformed by the gospel that has saved your soul and secured your destiny that for the rest of your life you just talk about it everywhere you are and every in the midst of everything that is going on see this is a good reminder for us Teaching does not have to be in that formal setting. In fact, the best kind of learning often takes place in the midst of daily life. And this is one of the, one way that God actually intends for the passing on of, of the faith throughout the generations. In Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, even in the Old Testament, that was one of the ways He had designed. For He says this, These commandments I give you today are to be upon, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. How do I impress Press them on their on my children simply by wearing their tail out every time they're disobedient. No, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's how you live it out. That's how you transmit the gospel from one generation and faithfulness from one generation to the next. God's design is for the truth of His Word to permeate all of our lives and to be shared in the context of these redemptive relationships. This is the mentoring model of the Master Teacher, Jesus Christ Himself. Indeed, as Jesus taught truth, He walked about on this earth. Isn't that the way He he lived out His life? He talked about truth, but he did so in an engaging way as he walked around this world. Listen, the few minutes I have on Sunday morning may make a mark upon your life. But even more of a mark will be made as we share life together. As you see the practical implications of understanding and applying God's Word into all of life. Indeed, all Christians are called to communicate sound doctrine, that which is healthy, that which is, we get our our English word hygiene from this word that means sound or healthy doctrine. We ought to be a hygienic church. Is that a word? I'm not sure. We ought to be a church with good spiritual hygiene. Teaching sound doctrine and applying it in meaningful ways as we walk out our lives next to each other in the midst of this world. If we want to be spiritually healthy and desire others to be spiritually healthy as well, then we must talk about the truth and dialogue about doctrine in practical ways as we walk out and flesh out our lives each and every day. Someone has put it this way, for all Christians, sound doctrine is the basis of sound character and sound character testifies to the fact they have sound doctrine. 
See, doctrine and duty go hand in hand. Doctrine and character go hand in hand. When you have bad doctrine, you're going to have bad character. And your bad character is going to point to your bad doctrine. But if you want sound doctrine or sound character, you need to first have sound doctrine. And that sound doctrine then will be demonstrated by your sound character. All of us are to live out the gospel in the midst of our daily lives. But now let's look look particularly in the area of men. Verse 2, Paul comes back and says, Older men, this is what you are to be. Here's to be the example. You are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Now listen, our culture is getting older, isn't it? Yes? Yeah. What's about to ha- What's happening even now? The baby boomers are moving into retirement, Right? The baby boomers are starting to move into retirement. Many of you are in that age group. Many of you indeed are part of the graying of America as it is being referred to. In 1994, one in eight people throughout America were over the age of 65. By the year 2030, one in five, 68 million Americans, one in five will be over the age of 65. Indeed, every six seconds, a person turns 50. How many of you are turning 50 this year? No, I'm just kidding, especially if you're a lady. I asked a couple of ladies a few weeks ago how old they were in front of everybody, and I was corrected uh, vehemently after the service. What in the world were you thinking, Pastor? Um, I'm not sure what I was thinking. I may not have been thinking at the moment. But listen, every six seconds, someone turns 50. The largest percentage of age group within America that is growing the most rapidly is those who are over the age of 85. That's the largest group of percentage wise of people increasing that number uh, throughout the U.S. population. This group will increase seven times between now and the year 2050. Currently, there are 70,000 people in the U.S. that are over the age of 100. And by 2030, that is expected to increase somewhere to the, to the, to the area of around 380,000. That's amazing. And as we get older, those, that reality sets in. On the, on the one hand, this is a good thing. For Job chapter 12, verse 12 says, Wisdom is with aged men and with long life is understanding. Amen, guys? Oh, come on now. You, you know you're glad to hear that verse. As long as he's growing old, don't choose to tread the path of grumpy old men or grumpier old men. This is a good thing. There is actually great benefit within our culture, within our church, of those who are gaining age and wisdom and godliness in the midst of this world. And so the question naturally falls to us, well, what does Paul mean by old? Well, within this context, within this culture, old meant mature. But specifically, there were two types of people in that Greek culture, older men and younger men. And by and large, if you take a survey of Greek literature, you'll find out somewhere around the age of 50. So anybody over 50? Anybody? You're considered old. I didn't say it. That's just sort of that. That's what it says. So Paul's exhortation. Is, is for the older people not to get discouraged, not to get upset, not to get down. Hey, you have a part, not only a part, a critical part to play within the ministry of the gospel. 
Paul's exhortation is, listen, don't become cantankerous old cusses. Don't become depressed old duds or hopeless old has-beens. You become men of God that are ministering faithfully the gospel so that it can pass on from generation to generation. You have a part to play. You are to be an example in every way to those that would follow behind you, both in the community and in the church. There's to be a pattern within your life that shows what it means to be a consistent and devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you have said, well, I'm too old, Pastor. I'm past my prime. I, I, I can't do anything else. I can't work any harder. Let me give you a word of encouragement from the life of a man named John Wesley. At the year... At 83 years of age, this man who had ridden roughly 250,000 miles and spreading and preaching the gospel on horseback back in the day, this man who had preached more than 40,000 sermons in the midst of his life, this man who had given himself to writing over 200 books and pamphlets in the course of his life, this man, John Wesley, at 83 years of age, said that he was greatly saddened. You know why? Because he couldn't give but 15 hours of his day every day to reading and writing. 83 years old and he's not hanging it up. He's not waving the towel. He's not throwing it in. He's saying, listen, I've got more to do. At his 86th birthday, he actually expressed that he was somewhat disturbed by the fact that he was no longer getting up as early as he once had. In fact, he said, I'm 86 and I I must admit that I am greatly saddened because oftentimes I'm remaining in bed until after 5.30. Some of you just found out there was a second 5.30. It's not just in the p.m. There's actually one in the a.m. We need to understand we don't need to come to that point where we throw in the towel. Every area and aspect of our life is to be lived for the glory of God and for the furtherment of His gospel in the midst of this world. Our godly older saints have walked with the Lord through many years and with that they bring strength, they bring stability, they bring wisdom to the church and to the community. They should be cherished within the context of the church. Indeed, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 and 2 tells the children that they are to obey their parents for this is right uh, right before the Lord they are to honor their father and mother for this is the first commandment with the promise that it might be well with you throughout your life Leviticus 19:32 says that the congregate the the uh, children of Israel shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged Psalm chapter 92 verse 14 says that the godly are assured they will still yield fruit in old age. In Proverbs 19.32, a gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. So listen, for those of you who have white hair or no hair or graying hair, rejoice. It's a sign of glory. It's a crown of glory. Understand God has been gracious to you. And He's given you a part to play in His ministry. And it's, listen, it's not just simply the tone of your voice that establishes your part to play in the ministry. It's actually the tenor of your life that is to display the gospel in every action that you have. It's not just the tone of your voice that gives you that place of respect and honor. It is the tenor of your life. 
And so older men, you're to be temperate. You're to exercise sound judgment in every area of, uh, of life. You are to no time be controlled by anything other than God and him, and him alone. And you are to live a life worthy of respect, a life that is reverent. Now listen, understand reverence doesn't entail rigor mortis. Reverence. Is the way that you live out your testimony before God, giving respect and honor to Him in everything you do. You are to be self-controlled. An older man must be in charge of himself. He is to subject his body, his mind, and his will to the higher order of godliness, not simply to the things of this world. This covers a wide variety of thoughts and a wide variety of attitudes and behaviors. But understand, these three these three content. These three character qualities in the context of that culture would have been inspiring for those who would have been watching those within the church. They would have looked and said, there's something different about those men. Those men indeed are are given to temperance. They are given to reverence. They are given to being sensible. The older Christian, though, must not just excel in the cultural way. He must also excel in the characteristics that are found in those who have received them from God. He ought to be a person of faith, a person of faith. Indeed, they are to be sound in faith. They are to be healthy in faith. We believe God and the gospel above all else. And so it doesn't matter what comes against us in the midst of this world. We always are entrusting ourselves to God and not just to our circumstances. We understand Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him diligently diligently and so faith is the very foundation of our relationship with god and when you look at the world through the content the context of the glasses that our world looks at looks at life through then you are going to be skewed you're going to be off course you're going to be pulled in every direction but when you look at life in terms of faithfulness to christ each and every moment listen you're going to be healthy you're going to be prepared to face all hardship they're going to be people who are endurance. There are people who are healthy in love. That healthy love reflects a love for God above all else and then a love for others over their self. They are going to have redemptive relationships, selfless love expressed in the context of human relationships. They're going to persevere in the midst of the problems of life. They, this word endurance or perseverance comes from a, a compound word that means under and abide. To endure means to remain under trials in a way that honors God by patiently waiting on him not by getting excited not by losing faith not by walking away in the midst of the trials the tribulation and the troubles of life but by running to him and believing that he's going to strengthen you and sustain you that he's going to see you through indeed endurance is the purest expression of faith character is who we are when no one else is looking older men these are to be the characteristics of your life when people are watching and when people aren't watching. In fact, Good Housekeeping had an article a few years ago that told you how you could really know the character of a man. It was interesting because I think they picked out six pretty good tests of how to know the character of a man. Listen to the character, how they said you could know the character, true character of a man. First of all, you need to watch him drive in heavy traffic. 
put him on 540 at about 8 o'clock around the research triangle in Raleigh and just see what happens to his blood pressure. Go play tennis or golf with him. See what, his, see what his language is like after three holes of bad golf and see whether he's truly living out the Christian testimony. Number three, listen to him talk to, talk to his family when he doesn't know you're listening. Number four, see how he treats waiters and cashiers who are serving him. Number five, check his checkbook, look in his ledger, and just see where he spends his money. Number six, look at his friends. If you're still unsure about the character of a man and whether they are truly a man of character, then the article concludes by saying, then study his shoes, because a man who keeps his shoes in good repair generally tends to keep the rest of his life in good repair as well. It's pretty good, pretty good advice, isn't it? Lionel? Shoes tell a lot about a man, don't they? Here's the reality. Our character is lived out in the midst of our life. And so for the older men, you've lived a long time. You've been in the midst of this country and this culture throughout your life. You've been heavily weighed upon in every area. And listen, you have a testimony, a witness that changes and that shows us how to live in the midst of our lives as well. We need older men to be models of spiritual maturity within the church. But second of all, we need younger men to come and to be moldable in godliness. See, the older men are to give a, be given a position to live out a pattern of grace and godliness in the midst of the life. But the younger men are to receive that and be molded into that pattern as well. Isn't it interesting? Paul gives six characteristics for the older men to live in. And then he turns around and he says, hey, younger guys, you've got one. And this sums up everything. You need to walk in self-control. Biggest issue of life. Self-control. Now that could be because older men have greater challenges and greater responsibilities. Or it could mean that this one quality for younger men is so important that it often sets in place all the other issues of life. Likewise, urge, encourage, exhort the young men to be self-controlled. This word encourage means call them alongside of you. Bring them alongside of you. Teach them what it means to to walk in self-control. In everything, you set an example by doing what is good by teaching and by your teaching you need to show integrity by your seriousness and soundness of speech make sure that no one can condemn you make sure in every way that anyone who would stand up and oppose you and oppose the gospel would be condemned because they can't find anything in your life to be questioned howard hendrick says there are two types of men Two types of men and two types of members within the church of Jesus Christ. There are the pillars that hold up and support the ministry. And there are the caterpillars that crawl in and out of the building every Sunday. Young men, don't for a second waste your youth. Don't for a second, students, waste your youth. 
You use every moment to redeem and to live for the glory of God. Understand, He wants to mold you. He wants to build you into a man who is faithful to Him, who loves Him, and who ministers to all faithfully. He wants to make you in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And you need to be willing to be molded. You need to be shaped. You need to have older men who are mentoring you and training you so that you might then be a faithful witness to your culture so that you might be a pillar of the church and of the ministry. Young men are frequently impulsive and indulgent and volatile, arrogant and all sorts of other things. And so he says, listen, you need to be urged toward self-control. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken is a man who lacks self-control. Listen, you want a life that's falling apart, you lose self-control. You give yourself to any and every indulgence that comes along your path. I assure you the consequences will not be pleasant and they will be difficult to bear so how do we gain self-control well self-control is not just something that i do and change in my life self-control is a fruit of the spirit when i give my heart when i give my life when i give everything to jesus christ he gives back to me the holy spirit to live and guide and guard me against sin he gives me the holy spirit gives me the fruit of the spirit and the last fruit of the spirit that is mentioned there in galatians 5:22 and 23 is self-control we need to be people who live out a Christian testimony in every way so that nothing we do or say ever condemns our confession. Indeed, there was a missionary who was great and zealous uh, for God in the midst of his culture, and he goes around. He was going around handing out tracts, and one day he walked up to one particular person, and he handed an unbeliever a tract, and he said, Here, I want you to consider Christianity. Christ has changed my life. He has set me on a new course. He has made me a new creation. And the, the man took the tract, and he looked at it and he said, oh, this is very interesting. I appreciate the little track, but listen, I'm going to watch your tracks and then I'll decide what I'll do with Christianity. I'm going to watch the tracks of your life and see where you go and what you do. Young men, we are to seek out godly older men to help shape us and mold us into model Christians that show the world the transforming power of the gospel in the midst of everyday life. Years ago, there was a missionary named Hudson Taylor that was a missionary to China. And as the Chinese government was concerned about all the converts, he was winning all the people he was touching. They began to try to discredit him. And they sent out one man to write a biography about Hudson Taylor with the purpose of distorting the facts and presenting him in a bad light. They wanted to discredit the name of this consecrated missionary of the gospel. They wanted to destroy the work and the witness he had there within China, but as the author was doing his research, he was increasingly impressed by Taylor's saintly character, by the fact that what he said is actually what he did, that he had a godly life, and he found it extremely difficult to carry out his assigned task with a clear conscience, and so eventually, knowing that his life hung in the balance, he laid his pen down and said, I cannot bear false testimony upon this man this man and he left his life of atheism and consecrated himself to being a disciple of Jesus Christ because the witness of Hudson Taylor had a life that was beyond reproach men our community and our culture 
need to see that we have been changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that there is nothing in our lives that would compromise or condemn what we say we believe. I believe Christ is Lord. He must be Lord over every moment of every day. Let us walk in that. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your leadership and direction in our lives. Father, we ask now that as we come in these moments, Father, you would point us out where we are flawed, where we, point out to us where we are flawed and where we are failing. Father, that you would convict us of our sin and that you would bring us to, to surrender ourselves increasingly to the character of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that as we are conformed to his image, the world would witness and testify of the power and the transforming nature of the gospel of Jesus. Father, lead us and guide us now in this moment of decision. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand today.